0: Today's reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 22. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven And the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You may be
1: seated. Oh, well, good morning. My name is Matt for this me, I'm the director of youth ministry here, and it's my pleasure to be with you. Just as another reminder before we start, there is no youth next door today. So if your kids just left to go next door, grab them, because they're hanging out outside doing nefarious things. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would see your grace in your word this morning. Lord, I pray that we'd see your son in this passage. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to share the gospel with our neighbors and the other people around us in our lives that need to hear this good news. The good news of your grace and love towards all peoples. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts and minds and prepare us to hear your word. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So a few years ago, I was given an amazing opportunity to be an intern at the church I grew up in. And I love this church, and so this was a no-brainer for me. So I, I wanted to go into ministry, I wanted to preach, I wanted to teach, and so I decided, you know, I'm going I'm to apply for this internship. And I, and I was accepted. I was accepted into the internship program. When I started this internship, my boss gave me a book. And I didn't really know uh, what to expect from this book. I didn't know why he had given me, but I began reading it. And as I was reading it, I, I, I noticed some really strange views that I had never encountered before. And I'm reading this book, and it's saying all sorts of weird things about the Old Testament. It was saying that the God of the Old Testament was just a, a projection of the writer's subconscious, and that God reflected their mean, cruel fathers in some way. And it was saying that the New Testament was all about God's love and God's grace, But the Old Testament was this book about a mean, cruel God. You know, as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking to myself, like, what kind of internship have I gotten myself into? You know, why are they getting me to read this book, which is saying that the Old Testament is basically just useless? And that's what this book was arguing for. The Old Testament isn't really useful anymore. So we don't need it. We, as Christians, can get fined just by, just fine with the new testament this experience i had i think points to a reality that we have all heard or wrestled with ourselves and that's this question what do we do with the old testament you know how do we understand it how do we read it you know if we're being honest with ourselves the old testament is a very confusing book Some of us here are probably thinking about making resolutions to start a Bible reading plan in the new year, and we're probably going to follow through with them until we get to about Leviticus, and then we're going to give up completely. And if you make it past Leviticus, chances are once you get to Joshua or you get to Judges, you're just going to throw in the towel because there is some really crazy stuff in there. I mean, the Old Testament says some really weird things. There's people murdering each other, there's strange marriage relationships, there's God judging the nations, and on and on the list goes. You know, Richard Dawkins, an atheist thinker, says this about the God that he sees in the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And I think that a lot of Christians agree with Dawkins. You know, they per, the, the problems that they perceive with the Old Testament means that their response has been to just accept this position. And they just decide that the Old Testament isn't really worth listening to anymore and that we don't really even need it. You know, it's too troubling, it's too hard, let's just get rid of it. But here's the problem with that. If you do that, you throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater. You see, the gospel makes absolutely no sense if it isn't placed in the wider history of Israel and God's relationship with them. And when we stop and we examine God's relationship with Israel, when we go to the Old Testament, we look at it, we find that it's constantly pointing us back to God's love and God's grace. So all we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22, and we're going to see how this text points to God's love and grace. And it's my hope that by the time we finish, we're going to see how the God we find in Deuteronomy— is the same God we see revealed to us in Jesus Christ and in the New Testament. So I've got four points for us this morning. We've got the problem, God's grace to us, God's grace to others, and the answer. So the problem, God's grace to us, God's grace to others, and the answer. Let's jump into our first point, uh, the problem, by flipping in your Bibles to verses 12 through 13 in our text. It says this, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. So the first thing we are presented with in our text is a rhetorical question. What does the Lord your God require of you? And Moses gives us five things that are required of us. Fear God, walk in God's ways, love him, serve him, and keep his commandments. You see, we as the people of God are called then to fear God in reverent awe of his majesty and his greatness. And we are called to emulate his character by walking in his ways. And we are called to be emotionally, physically, and spiritually dependent on God by loving him. We are to serve God with our time and our energy. And finally, on top of all this stuff, we are to obey all the commandments that he has given us in his word. This is easy, right? I mean, come on, guys. Like, what else does the Lord your God require of you but these simple, easy five things? Now, I'm kind of being intentionally uh, facetious here because I know it's, it's not easy at all. If anything, this text doesn't give us any solution to any problems, but it just seems to raise more problems. See, these five things hearken back to Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So what God is asking of us here is total allegiance to Him and Him alone. And that's what these five things in our, in our passage are pointing us towards, allegiance. And this is a huge problem. You know, think about your life for a second. Have you ever perfectly feared the Lord your God? Have you walked in all his ways since the day you were born? You know, have you loved him and rested in him? Do you serve him wholeheartedly with your time and your energy? Do you keep all his commandments perfectly? You know, if we're being honest with ourselves, then we, just, we know we haven't done this. In fact, we probably haven't even done this this morning. Which puts us in a really sticky situation. See, we're told that God requires these things from us, but we can't and we don't do them. And because we don't do them, we are in big, big trouble. In fact, we're told in Deuteronomy what will happen to us when we don't do them. Look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And these curses that Moses is referring to include things like disease, they include things like drought, include things like violence, and even death. See, this is God's judgment for disobedience to His commands. Now, before you think to yourself, well, of course, Matt, that's the Old Testament. God is mean in the Old Testament. Richard Dawkins told us so. Jesus isn't like that. My God isn't like that. Well, let me take you to the New Testament for a minute. Look at Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death you see no matter where we look in the bible there is a simple reality that we just can't escape from god judges sinners and when we look at these five requirements of god in deuteronomy And we recognize that we fail at them all the time. The reality that we are sinners should sink into our very bones and cause us to weep with fear. You see, the problem is that God requires these things from us. But none of us do them. So how do we overcome this problem? You know, how do we begin to be faithful in these five things? Well, it begins with God's grace, which brings us to our next point. God's grace to us. Look with me at Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth, with all that is in it. Now, why would the author say heaven three times? I mean, is it not kind of just a given that there's only one heaven Well, the author is using the repetition to show us the greatness and the grandeur of God. He's saying that God is the owner of everything and the creator of everything everywhere at every time. What he's trying to highlight is something that we call in theology God's transcendence. And that word transcendence tends to mean something very, very different in the Bible than it does in Vancouver. You know, in Vancouver, we like to be uber in touch with the spiritual. So we say things like, you know, that yoga class, it really got me in touch with the transcendent. Or sometimes I just love to burn sage incense because it just really aligns me with the transcendent. But in theology, when we talk about God's transcendence, that means that God is completely separate from us. That there is a chasm that we cannot cross between us and God. You see, he is the creator of the universe and we are his creation. We see this in Isaiah 66 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? In other words, God's transcendence is something that we acknowledge as true about God. It's not something that we get in touch with within ourselves. He is separate and holy and above us in every way. But, that doesn't mean that we're somehow left all alone to fend for ourselves now. You know, look at verse 15 of our passage this morning. Yet, the Lord set his heart in love on your father's, And chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day. You know, notice that little word at the beginning of our verse, yet. What a beautiful word. You know, it's saying to us that despite God's transcendence, despite his otherness and holiness and perfection that we can't even get close to, he set his heart in love on us. You know, that he descended to the level of humanity and chose a people out for himself to be his people that he loved. And this wasn't because these people were great and were better than any of the rest. It wasn't because they made some sort of deal with God. It was simply because God chose to love them. And we see this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." see, God has chosen a people out because of his love. He set his people apart because of his love. It's nothing they did. It's not like they deserved it. They weren't following the five requirements perfectly. No, God simply set his love on them. He chose them out because of his unmerited favor towards them. It was his grace towards them. And you know what? If you are here this morning and you're a Christian, then this is as true for you as it was for the people that Deuteronomy addresses. See, God's grace extends to you in this same way. And this has massive implications for us. You know, if it's God's love that sets us apart, If our being saved and our being Christians is a result of God's grace towards us, then we literally have nothing to fear in this life. You know, Paul, after asking the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? He writes this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, if God has chosen us, if God has saved us in his grace, well, nothing, nothing in this world could ever shake us free from that love. You know, this is, This reality should cause us to worship. We should be moved to a response by the amazing reality of God's grace towards us. And we actually see this response in our passage this morning. Look at verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. In other words, stop trying to act in your own strength and rest in God's love for you. Stop being stubborn and thinking that you have it all figured out and you have all the answers to life's problems and just rest in God's love for you. You know, some of us here this morning, we are stubborn. We don't want to thank God for all the stuff he's given us, but we'd rather just grumble about all the bad stuff we see in our lives. Man, we need to think back to God's grace in our lives. I mean, just think for a second how God has been gracious to you. Husbands, husbands. Think about your wives. You know, no husband here deserves the wife that they have. And this beautiful creature that's jabbing your arm right now and telling you to pay attention is a sign of God's grace to you. Parents, think about your kids. You, know, you don't deserve them. They could have never, ever been born, but they were. And that's a sign of God's grace to you. think about the present moment that you are living in right now. I mean, we live in Vancouver. This is an absolutely amazing city. I bet you 50% of the people here can walk to a beach from their house. That's God's grace to you. You see, all that he has given us, everything is undeserved. Everything from our salvation to our jobs to our lives is undeserved. He is gracious towards us. But he's also gracious towards others, which is our third point. Look at Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18 with me. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Again, here the author starts with God's transcendence, with the reality that God is above and beyond all other gods, that he is great That he is mighty and that he is awesome but then we see god's grace extended to a whole new group of people look at this he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing now at this time to be fatherless or a widow was a big deal you see in the ancient near east where Deuteronomy was written, male headship in the, in the family was just an assumed reality. Fathers and husbands owned their children and their wives as if they were property. Which means that the whole social structure, including welfare and everything else, was dependent upon male headship. So if your parents died and you were fatherless, then you were at the bottom of the social structure. You couldn't buy property, you couldn't provide for yourself, you really just couldn't do anything. And the same thing applies if you were a widow. See, without a husband or without a father, you were just powerless, you couldn't do anything. So for God to identify with them in this passage, for him to extend his love and mercy and grace towards them, and especially for him to say that he will make sure that justice is served on their behalf, is to identify himself as extending grace towards the least in society. This is even amplified by the reality that God loves the sojourner. If you were a sojourner in the land, you were worse off than an orphan or a widow. No one wanted to associate with you. But God says that he loves the sojourner, and that he, in his grace, will provide for him. You see, God's grace doesn't just apply to those whom He has chosen and set apart, but He extends it to others. And God Himself cares for them, and God Himself has a deep concern for these people. You know, one of my favorite Bible stories that highlights this reality is the story of Abraham's concubine Hagar. Now, Abraham is this guy in the Bible, and uh, he's God's chosen guy. God's promise promise to rid the world of sin and to rid the world of death is going to come through Abraham and through his offspring. The only problem is that Abraham has no children. So Abraham comes with this plan with his wife, genius plan. He's going to sleep with his wife's servant named Hagar, and she's going to have a child for him, and he names that child Ishmael. Now, obviously, this doesn't go well. I mean, you can only imagine what it would be like to know that your husband has a child with another woman and they live with you. So his wife gets jealous and she wants Abraham to send Hagar away. So he does. No big deal, right? I mean, they're just going to go off. Maybe they'll buy a house somewhere else, right? and Live in the Negev or something and live on their own. But the reality is way, way harsher than this. Without a husband, and without protection, they are likely, they're just not going to survive. And Abraham, when he does this, he knows this. And that's what makes his actions so wicked here. So he sends them out to the, into the wilderness. And, and what we'd expect is that God would just kind of back Abraham up. You know, Abraham is God's chosen guy, so Abraham is the one that God's going to focus on. What we'd expect is that God wouldn't really care about what happens to the other people in this story, but... That's not what happens. Look at Genesis 21, 15 through 19. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. You see, God loves others and he cares for others and he has mercy upon others out of his love and his grace them and we are called to love others too look at verse 19 of our passage this morning love the sojourner therefore for you are sojourners in the land of egypt see if god loves the sojourner then we are called to love the sojourner if god loves the fatherless then we are called to love the fatherless If God loves the widow, then we are called to love the widow. See, we are called by God to show his grace to others by loving them. You know, when we look back at uh, church history, we see God's people doing this exact thing all the time. In Roddy Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, he talks about how the early Christians in Rome actually stayed behind during one of the city's worst epidemics to care for the sick. Now, this was a time before there were antibiotics, there was a time before there were painkillers or anything that could alleviate the suffering of the sick people. Nothing, absolutely nothing, stopped you from catching the disease of the sick person that you cared for. So people at this time, they literally just abandoned their family and friends without food or water in the city and just left them to die. You know, Galen, he was a well-known and respected doctor from the time. He fled the city himself, and he went and huddled up in his country estate. But those who had seen and tasted God's love for them, they stayed behind to care for the sick. See, during Rome's worst epidemic, the Christians responded with grace because they had experienced God's grace. So here's my question for us this morning. What is Vancouver's epidemic? You know, what is it in Vancouver that everyone else wants to run away from and not really deal with? Where can Christians step in and begin loving other people by not running away, but by running to the problem? Well, I think a big one is loneliness and isolation. You know, last year, a Vancouver news site released an article it was titled This Is Isolation and Loneliness the New Normal in Vancouver? And the conclusion of that article. Was that even though people in Vancouver, they seem really friendly and nice and they chat with their baristas and whatever else. That they aren't building uh, building meaningful, long-lasting relationships anymore. You know, a few summers ago, I started, uh, the same summer I started here at Christ City, actually. I, I had noticed that one of our neighbors, I hadn't seen him in quite a while. You know, I thought it was weird, but I didn't really know him. And I didn't want to be like a nosy guy or anything like that. So I just kind of left it and... and Just ignored it. Anyways, a week or two go by, and as me and my wife are leaving to go for a bike ride, we see the fire department at this guy's door breaking it down. You know, I guess what had happened was that he passed away in his apartment, and no one even noticed for weeks. You know, I remember feeling guilty and feeling ashamed thinking that I had tons of opportunities to break the ice with this guy in the elevator, in the lobby, in the stairwell, in our own hallway, and I never did anything. You know, this guy, he was alone and he was isolated, and no one came to his house later to claim his stuff. No family came to sort through his apartment, nothing. All that happened was a work crew came and threw everything he owned in the trash. You know, it got me thinking, how many more people in our city are going to experience the same kind of death? You know, how many more people are going to be alone into their elderly years without deep, meaningful relationships? You know, my guess is a lot. See, loneliness and isolation is a problem that our city loves to talk about. We talk about forming community and building friendships and all that stuff. But the reality is, as soon as someone becomes burdensome, then it's just not worth it anymore. you. Know, unless relationships benefit us in some way, we don't see them as a good thing. We have made relationships into such a transactional affair based on our own consumer tendencies that as soon as relationships become hard work, we just leave. You know, we see people as products. Christians. While everyone else is running away from the hard work of relationships, we can run into that mess trusting in God's grace and be an answer to this epidemic that is plaguing our city. You know, God's grace to us spurs us on to share that grace with others. Just like God shows grace to others. So we started this morning with a problem. But I haven't really given us a full answer yet. So let's look at our fourth point, the answer. And see what the text says. Uh, look with me at verses 20 through 22 in our text this morning. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great And terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You know, one thing we need to realize is that God shows his grace to us and to others in real historical events. See, they're not just talking points, it's not just some sort of abstract concept that's just kind of floating out there, but there is actual proof that goes with the pudding. And we get a hint of some of these events in verse 21 of Deuteronomy. The author reminds the readers of the great and terrifying things that they have seen. You know, what is he referring to here? What act of God's grace is being referenced? Well, it's the Exodus. And in the Exodus, God took Israel out of Egypt with mighty and powerful signs and wonders. And they saw God work these things, and they saw his grace towards them in those things. And Israel is being told in this passage that total allegiance to God is predicated upon God's grace that is shown to them in the Exodus event. You see, the fulfillment of total allegiance to God comes as the people respond to the love God has shown them in his gracious actions towards them. And as Israel could look to the Exodus event, as God's grace and love being poured out for them, we can look to the historical person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came, and he lived the life that we never could live. Having a perfect fear of God, walking in all God's ways all his days. And he loved God with his whole heart, serving him and serving others completely and keeping all the commandments of God to a T. And then Jesus offered himself up as the perfect one who completed all the requirements of God and acted as the perfect sacrifice for sins. And where we deserve the curse of judgment for not being able to fulfill these things, he took our place and bore the curse of judgment in his perfection so that we wouldn't have to. And this reality is the ultimate act of God's grace. That he himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, would offer himself up to death so that we might be saved is the perfect picture of God's love and of God's grace to all people. And he offers this salvation to anyone who rests and trusts in his grace towards them. You know, you can be saved from your sins and you can experience god's grace by believing in jesus and that is the answer see as we rest in god's grace shown to us in jesus christ we are empowered by the holy spirit to give full allegiance to god so why not believe this morning You know, why not believe in the God of the Bible? Believe in Jesus, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You see, the same God of grace that we see in Deuteronomy is the same God of grace we see in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we respond? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.